it's looking more than ever like this fall, the choice will be between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, the matchup America did something to deserve. <laughs> I don't know why. What was it? So, so, so. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. Out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF the progressive voice of Minnesota, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, an all-around swell fellow says me with another thrilling edition of the broadcast, your radio home companion. Thank you for joining us. Glad you could be here on yesterday's program following the the big five-state primary in the Northeast uh, on Tuesday in Connecticut, Maryland, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. I said that happily there were few problems reported on Election Day. For a change, that is true. It, it remains true. We did not have uh, what we have seen in so many uh, places around the country uh, during the primary cycle so far this season. We did not see the uh, the hours-long lines, the people who couldn't vote, the votes flipping from one person to, from one candidate to another, people showing up to vote, finding out their registration was suddenly gone. All of that. Um, we had a few problems. Uh, voting machines were, were down in some places in Pennsylvania in the morning, so people couldn't vote because Pennsylvania uses touchscreen voting systems in most of the state, uh, which means when they go down, people cannot vote. Uh, but, in fact, I also pointed out that problems with elections and election results don't often surface until after Election Day, after the results are in, sometimes days, weeks, months, years later. Well, I will be discussing one such concern in a moment having to do with uh, with Delaware, one of the uh, five states that held elections on Tuesday. And then remember that disastrous March 22nd presidential primary election in Arizona where voters were forced to wait for hours to vote after the county clerk in Maricopa County, that's Phoenix, the state's largest voting jurisdiction, reduced polling places. Uh, down to uh, from a little bit over 200 back in 2012, down to just 60 for that primary, despite record turnout uh, in many cases on both the Republican and the Democratic side. Remember that? Well, two lawsuits were filed in the ensuing days after that electoral disaster in Phoenix, one by 
the DNC themselves, which was joined by Clinton and uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Bernie Sanders campaigns, and another prior to that one filed by the DNC, uh, was filed by a, a local transpartisan longtime election integrity group by the name of Audit AZ. Their case, after two days of hearings earlier this week, was dismissed. I will discuss why and what happened shortly with Emily Levy, a longtime election integrity champion. She was working on that case with Audit AZ. Also coming up on today's thrilling program, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be here. Hi, Des. Hello. Um, presumptive. He has declared himself presumptive, and I presume he's right. Presumptive GOP nominee Donald Trump uh, went nuclear again. Over, so to speak. Over climate. That's right. <laughs> uh, so we will talk about that and we will talk about why, you know, we cover uh, green news, environmental news, uh, climate change news on this program regularly, almost a day in and day out. Uh, not uh, that much, but close to it. Uh, closer to closer to it, I think, than any other, certainly any other corporate mainstream uh, well, we're not a corporate mainstream, but it's certainly more than the corporate mainstream uh, media outlets out there. We cover it on this program, but the question always comes up, why why don't uh, outlets like CNN and MSNBC cover it more often? Well, we may have one answer to that in today's Green News report uh, and much more. So that's uh, all ahead. And I'm trying to decide... Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just no let's just note this. We'll we'll try to cheer people up at the beginning because everything goes downhill from here. <laughs> okay. So, uh so this is funny politics. Um <laughs> before we get to the election concerns, uh the GOP civil war continues. Uh don't know if you saw this Desi doing these comments from uh, from John Boehner speaking no. at the uh at Stanford a couple of days ago. Um, he was speaking, he was being interviewed by uh, uh, David M. Kennedy, faculty director and history professor uh, at, at Stanford. And Kennedy asked Boehner to be frank, given that the event was not being broadcast and, uh, and the former speaker apparently responded in kind. He was specifically asked for his opinions on Ted Cruz. Uh-oh. Yeah. So John Boehner, former U.S. House Speaker... Uh, who was sort of run out of the job by the Tea Partiers, by guys like Ted Cruz. Uh, he, well, the Stanford Daily reports that Boehner made a face, drawing laughter from the crowd, and then uh, said, Lucifer in the flesh. Oh, my. Describing Ted Cruz. He said, I have Democrat friends and Republican friends. I get along with almost everyone, but I have never worked with a more miserable son of a bitch in my life. My goodness. Yeah, I know. I guess uh, politics. I guess he's really not returning to uh, to electoral politics. Yeah, anymore, I think he's out John now. Boehner. Yeah, I think he's done. Uh, he went on to describe other Republican candidates as friends. He said he played golf with Donald Trump for years. They were quote texting buddies, whatever that means. Uh, he says his uh, friendship with Ohio Governor John Kasich. Remember, John Boehner uh, is, was a congressman from Ohio. He said that relationship with Governor Kasich, who was a former congressman himself, was a little bit more ambiguous. He said Kasich requires more effort on my behalf than all my other friends, but he's still my friend and I love him. 
So there you go. Uh, that's what John Boehner uh, says about Ted Cruz, Lucifer in the flesh. Uh, and the speaker went on to say, by the way, that he would vote for Donald Trump in the general election if he becomes the Republican nominee. He said he would not, however, vote for Ted Cruz. So yeah, there you go. Um, he said uh, on the Democratic side, he said he disagrees with Bernie Sanders on all issues. But the former speaker called Sanders a nice guy and the most honest politician in the race. So I guess that's a uh, shot at uh, at Clinton, <laughs> a, a pat on the back for Sanders while taking a shot at uh, at Clinton. Uh, he, he went on to say that, uh, and sort of echo what Trump has been saying about Clinton, playing the, quote, woman card, as, as Trump has said. Uh, Boehner said, uh, he, he impersonated Clinton, said, oh, I'm a woman, vote for me. He got a negative reaction from the crowd on that, and uh, later he added that he had known Clinton for 25 years, finds her to be very accomplished and smart. Okay, so playing to the crowd there, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, although he says, don't be shocked, however, if two weeks before the convention there is a scandal concerning Clinton's uh, emails. And then he says, here comes Joe Biden parachuting in and Barack Obama fanning the flames to make it all happen. So uh, trying to speaking of fanning the flames, that was John Boehner. All right. Uh, one more uh, piece of of good news here. I think definitely good news, actually. Uh, today, Vermont Governor Peter Shumlin signed into law a bill that will automatically and securely, they say, register eligible citizens to vote when they obtain a or renew a driver's license from the DMV unless they opt out of registration. This comes from the uh, Brennan Center lauding the move by, uh, by the state of Vermont. They note that that comes as automatic voter registration is taking off across the country. Vermont is now the fourth state in the union uh, to enact this reform. They are the second after West Virginia to pass it with strong bipartisan support. Nationally, 28 states plus the District of Columbia have considered measures this year to automatically register citizens, uh, although only Oregon and California uh, have done so. They did so in uh, past automatic registration in 2015. California has yet to put theirs in place. Oregon has put its new system in place in January, and they say that registration rates have quadrupled. Well, yeah. In Oregon. So uh, Vermont is uh, hopeful that its laws will have a similar impact. Brandon Center says that within the first four years of implementation, it's predicted that the measure could add between 30,000 and 50,000 new voters. In, uh, in 2012, the state's registration ranked 30th in the country. So hopefully this will uh, be some good news for voters in Vermont, voters of any and all parties, as uh, too many states around the country are trying to keep people from voting by making it harder to register and harder to vote and uh, perhaps playing games with those registrations, as we saw recently in New York and as we will talk about in a bit in uh, in Arizona. But before that, uh, yesterday on the program, I brought up what happened in uh, Delaware on Tuesday night, uh, on election night. And one of the uh, viral screenshots that had been circulating uh, concerning the results as they were being reported out of the state of Delaware. Hillary Clinton was announced the winner of that state on uh, on Tuesday night. She won four out of the five states that were up. Uh, Bernie Sanders won Rhode Island only. 
at least according to the reported results. And um, this uh, this screenshot uh, that was circulated, uh, as I noted on yesterday's program, uh, we don't we didn't yet. We still don't actually have an explanation. I've got some information from the uh, Delaware uh, state election commissioner about this. But just to remind you what this was on election night, uh, screenshots from Washington Post and from some other newspapers, actually, um, that also get their uh, their uh, results on, on election night from AP, apparently. Uh, they showed, uh, in short, that uh, Bernie Sanders uh, had uh, a little bit more than 6,000 votes with uh, just 16% reporting. And, uh, and then, with almost 40% reporting, suddenly Bernie Sanders had just over 2,000 votes. So he somehow lost 4,000 votes on election night, uh, at least according to the way it was being reported online. Now, I've seen that sort of thing happen before. In most of those cases, it's usually uh, the name of the candidate is transposed. Uh, they had, you know, Sanders in the Clinton slot and vice versa. Uh, but as it was pointed out uh, to me, and, and that's what I, I suggested, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the show or, or on Twitter, but as was pointed out, uh, no, that couldn't be it. Uh, because when the the, uh, the next update happened, both Clinton and Sanders had less than that 6,000-something votes. So somehow, 4,000 votes seem to have disappeared. Now, Pennsylvania on Tuesday night was uh, w one of those five states that held elections. They have, as I mentioned, uh, they use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across much of the state. Also, Delaware still uses 100% unverifiable uh, touchscreen-like systems or push-button systems. They're, uh, but they're also direct recording electronic systems that record the votes directly into the inside of the computer in a way that makes it impossible for voters to know whether the vote has actually, wh whether the machine has actually recorded their vote accurately. They use even older systems than the crappy, uh, terrible ones used across uh, some of uh some of the state of Pennsylvania, uh, they use a system uh, called uh, made by Danaher called the Shooptronic 1242. Delaware first put this touchscreen system in place, or I shouldn't say touchscreen, it's a push-button system. It's a direct recording electronic, or DRE system. They put this in place in 1996, and they are quite proud that they were the first state in the Union to go to 100% uh, unverifiable direct recording electronic voting machines. So if you have questions about what happened either in Pennsylvania or in Delaware, there is almost uh, no way to know if those results were actually correct. If those results reported by the state actually reflect the, uh, the will, the intent of the voters. So when it comes to these strange numbers, 4,000 votes disappearing, it's hard to know what happened, even if we do get an explanation. So, uh, I, I, so I mentioned on the show that I was trying to get information from the state of Delaware yesterday. I've now got some information from the state of Delaware, from Elaine Manlove. She is the state election commissioner. Um, and I asked, you know, what happened? 
where where did these 4,000 votes go? So I'm going to read you uh, her response, and uh, we, we went back and forth a few times. I did invite her to appear on the program. Um, she did not take me up on that offer. But let me uh, just tell you what she told me, and then uh, I know that a lot of people are still looking into this, trying to figure out what the hell happened. So let me give you the response from the uh, state election commissioner, and, and we can begin to try anyway to make sense of this. She writes to me uh, following a number of questions that I had sent to her uh, about those results. She says, uh, following questions I received after Tuesday's primary and the difference between the Delaware elections website and the Washington Post, where these uh, the screenshot, one of the places the screenshot was taken. She said, I reached out to the Washington Post. Their response is below. So then she forwards what the Washington Post said, and they cite uh, their uh, the process that uh, AP, the Associated Press, goes through. So uh, Washington Post told her the AP's director of election services said that this was the result of a vote entry error, which was caught and corrected within two minutes. The AP's frequently asked question page explains how their vote entry and accuracy check systems work, which can give a sense for how errors come out. Uh, come about and how they are corrected. So uh, let me read you uh, the part they quoted from AP's Frequently Asked Questions page. Question, how are the votes counted by Associated Press? Answer, shortly before the polls close, nearly 5,000 stringers report to county election centers. When the first polls close, they'll be ready to start phoning in the raw vote as it is reported by the counties. They'll place their calls to one of AP's four election desks, um... A total of 500 vote entry clerks will punch in the numbers on a computer screen, feed them into the state and national election tables that AP's members will see in their newsrooms. The clerks are encouraged to ask questions to ensure accuracy. They'll ask the stringers whether there are problems in their county, question voters and precincts if uh, if results look suspect, and make sure that the that those working around them ask questions too. The vote count and entry operations will continue across the 50 states and the District of Columbia all night long. I guess you're talking about November at this point. Tapering down around 4 a.m. and so forth. How does the AP make sure that their count is accurate? Answer. As votes are entered into the AP system, they must pass through computer programs that set off alerts in case of discrepancies or apparent inconsistencies with previous voting history or other data. If a clerk enters numbers that show a significant disparity from expected patterns, for example, a pop-up box will appear on his or her screen that summons a supervisor to intervene. In addition, experienced quality control coordinators and analysts examine results for anomalies. That's what was sent to me from Elaine Manlove, state elections commissioner, explaining what happened and suggesting, it seemed to me, that this was an error uh, that someone typed in at AP and then it got caught by AP's system. OK. I asked uh, her a series of questions of follow ups uh, just to confirm. Uh, I asked, uh, are you saying that the error was a human input error by the AP data entry folks? She responded, I'm not saying anything. I'm forwarding the response I received from The Washington Post. OK. If so, I asked her, are you saying that official Delaware or Sussex County, this was this anomaly was in Sussex County, Delaware, one of three counties there. Uh, are you saying that the official Delaware election results, uh, election result counts never actually reflected 
that higher vote total for Bernie Sanders that we saw in that screenshot? She says yes. She says, in other words, the Delaware count had it right. It was AP that had it wrong. At least that's the way I understand what she is saying. I asked, is there any way to confirm that? For example, time-stamped results uh, that are you know, published throughout the night or some such. She said, no, but you can review machine tapes for each voting machine. And, I find, and then I asked, uh, how can voters, the electorate, confirm that the reports resulted from those state DREs actually reflect the will of the voter? She said a review of the voting machine tapes again. So then I asked, are voters allowed to review those voting machine tapes? Are they allowed to oversee their own elections by, you know, looking at those uh, tapes? Or is that something that's internal only to the uh, uh, only to election officials? My understanding, by the way, was that these systems they used in in Delaware, these shooptronics do not actually produce a so-called voter verifiable paper audit trail, this little piece of paper that's printed out um, by each machine that the voters approve before it is then before the vote is then cast, or at least they're supposed to approve it. Most people, by the way, do not. Um, and uh, so I asked, uh, you know, I, I didn't know they had produced such a, a piece of paper. And uh, how, how would the public review it? She said it would be done by a FOIA request a Freedom of Information Act request if they wanted to review those uh, paper records that are printed out by those machines in Delaware. And she says also the Danaher 1242 Shooptronic voting machines store results in the machine, on the cartridge, and on a paper tape in the machine. We can produce a vote-by-vote -vote review in random order, she says. Okay. Um, and I asked in turn uh, the voters uh, before casting their vote, did they have the opportunity to approve that paper tape printout? She responded to me with a terse no. So whatever those paper trails are that are printed out by these machines in Delaware, uh, of course, they can say anything. They can say anything. They are not approved by the voters before they are printed out, before the vote is actually recorded. There is no way to know if they actually reflect the intent of the voters. Uh, you know, I think, by the way, I, I always start with the easiest, the simplest uh, possibility. And the simplest possibility is, yes, this was a clerical error by uh, someone at AP uh, or Washington Post, actually by AP, because Washington Post just takes their numbers, I believe, from AP. Um, but because of the type of voting system that they use in Delaware, that they still use in Pennsylvania, that they still use in Georgia, that they still use in Texas, that they still use in much of Missouri, that they still use uh, in a whole bunch of states all around the country, key states, important states, states that actually matter. And by the way, I believe all states matter. But when you get to the uh, you know November election, uh, you're going to be relying on a lot of these machines, machines about which if you have questions, there is no way to answer them. And there is ultimately, really, most likely no way to answer uh, what happened in uh, in Delaware or, or were the election results correct out of Delaware? I am not saying they were not correct. I am not charging fraud. I am not charging that someone stole the election. Please be clear. Please understand that. 
especially Bernie Sanders supporters. Anytime they see a problem, they tend to chalk it up to Hillary Clinton shenanigans. All right. If we don't have evidence of something, we don't report it here on this broadcast. If we don't have evidence of something, I don't report it at bradblog.com. The things I report, I have evidence for. I don't have evidence right now that anyone committed any type of fraud. But I can tell you that these numbers are anomalous. And if voters have any questions about those numbers, and they have a right to know, they have a right to know how they voted, it will be, uh, I would suggest, 100% impossible to get a proper answer to that question. And that is a ridiculous way to run an electoral system. And you don't have to call, you know, charge someone with fraud or shenanigans to make that case. All you have to point out is that we can never know who actually won the state of Delaware's primary presidential contest. We can't know who actually won it in uh, in Pennsylvania or in Missouri. And that is a crazy way to run an electoral system. Speaking of crazy ways to run an electoral system, let's take a quick break and come back and speak with Emily Levy about what happened this week in Phoenix, Arizona, where, yes, uh, voters are still trying to demand accountability for the election that took place last month. Man, last month in uh, in across the state of Arizona and specifically in the city of Phoenix. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. And all you can do is laugh at her Doesn't anybody know how to pray? Arizona Take off your rainbow I would never laugh at Arizona Would I? Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Okay, so you all may remember the uh, March 22nd presidential primary election in Arizona, where which was just an unbelievable disaster, specifically in Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, the largest uh, the largest county in the state, uh, Maricopa and uh, largest by far. And voters faced hours long lines in the hot sun in Phoenix, just trying to cast their vote. After the uh, county clerk out there, a woman by the name of Helen Purcell, who has uh, been the county clerk out there since forever, decided for some reason 
to reduce the number of polling places from, uh, well, I think it was 211 polling places in uh, back in 2012. That came down to just 60 polling places for the uh, for the March 22nd. Uh, primary presidential primary election, which you had, you know, has been challenged on both sides, the Republican and the Democratic side. So we knew there was going to be huge turnout. And yet she decreased the polling places. Now, what uh, Phoenix has said was that they changed it so that they now have voting centers so that you don't have to go to a specific precinct, a specific polling place. You can go to any polling place. And that was their explanation, at least as far as I have it. And finally, uh, that county clerk, Helen Purcell, has admitted she screwed up and screwed up big time. But in the meantime, that doesn't make it any better for voters. Supporters of uh, Bernie Sanders were unhappy because uh, because they lost, of course, in uh, in Arizona. Supporters of Ted Cruz, they were unhappy because they lost to Donald Trump. But the fact of the matter is people were turned away, people who could not afford to wait two, three, four, five hours online. And uh, a lawsuit was filed thereafter to try to uh, get the results of that Arizona primary tossed and have the entire election rerun, as I understand it. It was filed by um, John Brakey, who works a longtime election integrity advocate. He works with a group named Audit AZ. We've had John on this show uh, in previous years. Joining us now to talk about the status of this case, which uh, had two days of hearings this week, but has now been tossed out. Joining us to talk about it is longtime election integrity advocate who has been working with Audit AZ on this case, Emily Levy. Emily, uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, and thanks for that um, that great synopsis of the story up until now. One little thing I'd like mm-hmm. to add, little but important, is um, when you were talking about the decrease in the number of polling places in Maricopa County, where Phoenix is, mm-hmm. and actually it's even worse than that made it sound. If we compare this election, the number of polling places in this election, to the 2008 election, which mm-hmm. is the last time there was no incumbent on the ballot for president, um, the polling places this time have actually been cut by five-sixths because there were about 400 polling places in 2008 in Maricopa County and only 60 right. this time. And Maricopa County is not only the biggest county in terms of population, but it's one of the geographically largest counties in the country. Mm. I think it's in the top three, um, which means that the distances people had to travel were really far. Right. And so that's talking that, that's like an 80 percent reduction uh, in the number of polling places since the last time that there was a, a contested primary on both sides of uh, uh, the Republican and Democratic aisle. Uh, and that is something we've discussed on this program that would have been reviewed by the uh, by the U.S. Department of Justice had the U.S. Supreme Court not killed uh, the the key section of the Voting Rights Act, because, in fact, Maricopa has a history of disenfranchising, uh, uh, racially disenfranchising voters. That uh, A move like this would have been reviewed before it was put in place by the Department of Justice if the Voting Rights Act was still in place. Is, is that your understanding as well, uh, Emily? Yes, it is. And my understanding is also that the parts of the Voting Rights Act that are still in place were violated in this election, and that has led to the U.S. Department of Justice saying that they are going to be investigating this election and another lawsuit being filed by the DNC, which has been joined by both 
the Clinton and Sanders mm-hmm. campaigns. That's that's on issues related to the decrease in the number of polling places and and some other uh, Voting Rights Act related issues. And so those two those two challenges are they're not exactly challenges, but those two cases. Mm-hmm one lawsuit and one investigation are still underway, neither one of them would result in the primary election being done over, which is one of the remedies that we thought was a possibility from the, the case that Audit AZ filed. And uh, so those cases are still moving forward, but uh, the Audit AZ case uh, filed by John Brakey and, and uh, the election integrity folks uh, who have been do- who have been at this for years, by the way, and getting a lot of uh, great improvements done to the electoral system in the state of, uh, of Arizona, in both Maricopa, uh, down in Pima County, which is Tucson. Uh, but their case was now tossed. So what was it precisely that they were uh, alleging and what was that and, and, and what was it that they were asking for, I guess, a, a new primary election? Um, so what the case was asking for was that the certification of the election be thrown out and, the, and an investigation be launched and the case not be recertified until, until there were election results that complied with Arizona law. So mm-hmm. depending on what would have been found in that investigation, it might have been, for example, that if they had found that there were a lot more provisional ballots that needed to be counted and that was the, the only thing it found that could have been remedied by counting those ballots. But if it had been found that there were actual problems with the voting itself, then a lot of people were disenfranchised who shouldn't have been, then the remedy might have been to redo the election. Mm-hmm. So the things that we, that we found that, that were the main points of the Audit AZ case with John Brakey who's the co-founder of mm-hmm. Audit AZ as the mm-hmm. plaintiff, were evidence of vote suppression by reduced polling locations, which you've already mentioned, altered registrations targeting a particular candidate. Um, so there has been a lot of anecdotal evidence of people who were previously registered independent, who re-registered as Democrats in order to vote in this election, um, showing up to vote and having their registration show them as no longer registered as Democrats. There also is anecdotal evidence of people who had been Democratic voters for a long time showing up to vote and their registrations had been changed to no longer show Democratic Party affiliation. So in both of those situations, um, those people were not allowed to vote a Democratic ballot. Some of them were, a lot of them were forced to vote on provisional ballots, or ended up, were only allowed to vote on provisional ballots, I would say. And in Maricopa County, only 17% of the provisional ballots were counted. And so we could compare that to Pima County, as you said, where Tucson is, mm-hmm. where 67% of the provisional ballots were counted. So, wow. um, so that's that's the second issue. Is, the is, third issue is 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 I'm there sorry, before, before you know before you get to that third issue, Emily Levy? Is there is there was there evidence presented? Um, preliminary evidence or not, that the same thing happened uh, with Republican registrations. I know that Audit AZ is actually, a, they call themselves a transpartisan group. It's Democrats, Republicans, uh, Green uh, Party members, Libertarians, and so forth. Uh, so, Did we see anything similar on the Republican side where you had an independent who wanted to vote in the Republican primary but was unable to do so, uh, you know, who uh, changed their registration to Republican? I have not heard of that happening. Okay. I have not heard of that happening. 
Um, and, and I might add, even though we, we don't have the access to the software to be able to look at this, but it would be a very, very easy hack to the software to insert some code that says, search for voters whose registrations recently changed from independent to Democrat and change a certain percentage of those back. We don't know that that happened, but it's something that, that there's enough evidence of that kind of problem that that's something that absolutely should be looked at, especially with um, machinery being used that has been so heavily documented to be hackable and riggable, and with the history of malfeasance in elections that the state of Arizona has, as brought forth by previous lawsuits mm-hmm. um, that Audit AZ has, has made against the case, some of which have succeeded. So... Um, there certainly was reason to to have an investigation, and it's it's terrible that the judge has not seen fit to grant that. Well, I was going to say though, uh, there were two days of testimony that were were, were allowed by uh, Maricopa County Superior Court Judge David Glass, and yet now uh, yeah. he has. I'm Gass. sorry, Gas, David Gas. Uh, he has now dismissed the case, saying there was not enough evidence. To move forward with a uh, with a full trial, what happened? What did he determine, and and why did he uh, dismiss this case? Well, we actually have on on Audit AZ's blog, which you can see at election nightmares with an s on the end dot com, mm-hmm. and that yes, there's two ends in the middle of that, one for the end <laughs> of election, and one for the beginning of nightmares. Um, <laughs> there's a link to the the actual um, ruling mm-hmm. by Judge Gas. Um, but basically what he said, he didn't take into account any of the constitutional arguments and so he was, that we made. And so he was just going on the law that is the law about the, the election contest, which apparently requires that we be able to, in the five days we have between certification of the election and the deadline to file a case like that, we had to be able to prove that exactly what the problems were and that they would have affected the outcome of the election. And so let me, well, let, let, let me get that, that straight. Let, let, let me get that straight. You're saying that even though you put people forward uh, who couldn't vote or who had to wait online for hours and so forth, uh, which would obviously have an effect on the election, he's saying that unless you have proof proof, evidence in those five days that the election outcome would have changed, then uh, he's not allowed to move forward with the case according to Arizona Election Code? Yeah, like unless we had evidence that the outcome of an investigation would be that the outcome of the election would change. Unless we have that evidence before the investigation we're requesting takes place, then therefore um, our challenge cannot be... You know, he had to rule against us. In my mind, if you're going to do an investigation, theoretically, you should have reason to do the investigation. But if you already know the outcome of the investigation, an investigation isn't necessary. So, well, right. well there's you know, discovery. We, we have there's access. The, the, exactly. There's all kinds we of things that you can. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's completely outrageous. So, in part, the problem is that he didn't look at the constitutional arguments, which on which we really believe we would have prevailed. And then the other part is that the election code really needs to be changed. Well, because yeah, go ahead. We need to have meaningful. We need to have the ability to contest elections in meaningful ways. 
and the election contest rules are different state to state, mm -hmm. and I don't know any of them that are any good. Well, so I, they're, they're yeah, all, I will, they I, always make it extremely hard for reasons like this. I've seen the same thing in other states. Uh, yes, as have I. And, I mean, and the idea that uh, although in you know most of those uh, states, most of those cases that I have seen where they say, well, you have to have evidence that the outcome would have uh, changed, most of them are you know straight uh, you know elections where you know there's one winner and one loser. In this case, at least in the Democratic presidential primary, uh, these are for delegates, and they are apportioned proportionally. So if, uh, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, I can't remember, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, gets 55%, Bernie Sanders gets 45%. I don't remember what the exact numbers are, but their uh, delegates are handed out on that basis, on that proportional basis. So even if right. Bernie Sanders would not have won, even if you have don't have evidence that he would have won, uh, you know, had a few hundred, a few thousand uh, votes changed, Changed, he might have still lost the race, but he might have gained a delegate or two. That would that does seem like it's evidence that the outcome of the election would be changed. The judge did not accept that. I agree with you, and the judge did not accept that. And in fact, um, in Arizona, the delegates are apportioned um, as, by a congressional district, and mm -hmm. all but one of the congressional districts in the state is partly in Maricopa County because of how badly the state has been gerrymandered. So you can't just say, oh, well, that one congressional district where Maricopa County is would have been affected by this election because it's all but one. Mm -hmm. And um, we had testimony in our case that in some cases votes were cast in the wrong congressional district because of polling places running out of ballots. So um, it's, it's extremely likely that an investigation would have shown that Bernie Sanders should have gotten more delegates than he did. So that's, you're absolutely right that the election outcome in terms of delegates was very likely to have been changed by an investigation. But again, we couldn't prove it because we weren't able to have that investigation. Uh, yeah, and uh, Emily Levy, I, I, I got to let you go, but uh, one last thought on this. We've seen all kinds of problems, uh, questions about results, access to the polls uh, in state after state after state this election uh, season. Uh, you know, due to the good work of, of uh, frankly, the folks in Arizona at, uh, from Audit AZ, at least they don't use uh, touchscreens. At least they use paper ballots, as I recall, in uh, in Maricopa County. So there's that's good. But when I tell people that, you know, we can't wait until after elections to have questions about them. Uh, you know, we need to have a hand count on election night. Uh, we can't wait, uh, you know, to find out if people can't access the polls. We have to use the Voting Rights Act uh, that was in place before the election to avoid this problem. Isn't this the problem in all across the country when it comes to elections, that once it's done, once it's over, once uh, the results have been announced correctly or incorrectly, there's almost nothing uh, that, that folks uh, can do if they have questions about the results. Doesn't this case underscore that yet again? It absolutely does. And so I would say there's almost nothing we can do in the courts. There's plenty we can do in the streets, but it's very difficult to change an outcome of an election that way. And it's it's why it's really important that, that your listeners and people all over support the folks who are doing this kind of work. Um, I've been... So 
So I've been working most mm-hmm. recently with Autodaisy, but I've worked with other organizations in the past. And one thing that I can say is hugely different in compared to 2004 when I started doing this work is the num the, our ability to get our message out is so much greater because of social media. There is so much more interest right now, and the and people are really opening their eyes in large numbers to the problems with our election system in a way that we haven't seen before. And if people want to help, finding an organization, whether it's Audit AZ, which you can support through their website at electionnightmares.com, or a group that's working in your state where you are, um, these groups are generally small. They're working on almost no budget. Mm-hmm. No, and with more resources, they could do so much more. And I know a lot of people feel helpless and like there's nothing they can do. But those of us who are actually on the ground and on the Internet doing this work have no plenty that we could do to make a difference if we had the resources. Indeed. So and it doesn't... Don't, don't yeah. give up, but help. Yeah, and it does not happen overnight. It is a long fight. Uh, just ask John Brakey. Uh, you know, you can't solve every election, but as these problems come up, as they are challenged, uh, hopefully changes are made, at least for future elections. Longtime election integrity champion, Emily Levy. Great to speak with you again, Emily. Uh, uh, great work with the Audit AZ folks. Uh, keep up the good fight uh, and uh, check out their work at Election Nightmares. Dot com. Thank you, Emily. Thanks very much, Brad. You bet. Thanks for your work. Thank you. Um, you know, among the uh, the testimony that was heard in the courtroom this week in Maricopa that apparently, well, we'll never get to find out what happened uh, on this. Or maybe we will. Maybe the, the uh, DNC's lawsuit or maybe the Department of Justice will find out down the road. But Associated Press reported... Uh, earlier this week on the testimony of Diane Post during uh, the the uh, the hearings on that lawsuit that has now been dismissed. It was a packed courtroom, AP reports, packed with voters and election officials, including Maricopa County recorder Helen Purcell, the top election official there, a poll worker who was on duty uh, during that presidential primary on uh, on March 22nd said that the computer system checking in voters would not allow her to give the correct ballots to 36 Democratic voters, while she counted about 20 other voters that were listed in the wrong party. So in other words, uh, as the people were checking in, they said, hi, I'm Joe Smith. Uh, I'm a Democrat. I'd like to vote uh, as a Democrat. So they go in and punch in uh, the poll worker, punched in Joe Smith and um printed out a ballot for them. I think that's how they do it in in Maricopa. I think they print them on the fly and it would print out uh, the wrong ballot. It would not allow her to give a Democratic ballot to those 36 voters. Uh, I think there were Republican ballots that were printed out. um, And and then she said that uh, she also saw 20 others who were listed in the wrong party. So what happened? What happened with those computers? What happened with that registration system? Uh, this, this article goes on to talk about another voter uh, was testified that she was incorrectly identified in Pima as an independent when, in fact, she was a Democrat. So all of these concerns uh, can never, you know, never be answered. What the hell kind of a, an electoral system are we running here? The attorney general even argued 
as uh, I think Emily referenced there, that you can't challenge primary results. They are different than regular elections. You can't challenge a presidential preference contest. At least that's what the uh, the state AG argued. So uh, uh, Post, uh, she was the uh, uh, the poll worker there. She happens to be an attorney as well. She testified that a machine that she was using to check in voters at a Maricopa County location failed to give those uh, 36 people the proper ballot. She said every single time it happened to me, it was a Democratic voter who wasn't able to access a Democratic ballot. And then another 22 people were listed uh, in the wrong party. You would think that this is something that is worthy of, uh, of, of a lawsuit, at least to find out what what happened. But no, apparently not. And this, you know, this story, uh, the one in our previous segment about Delaware and the voting system there that is 100 percent unverifiable, you know, underscores again. We got to get our we got to get our electoral system right. When I hear people saying, why bother voting? I'm turning away the, the electoral system. It's rigged. It's what you know, it, it's it doesn't make a difference. The parties don't make a difference. I reject that. I reject the idea that the way to deal with these problems is to turn away. The way to deal with them is the way Emily Levy has for so many years, the way John Brakey has in Arizona for so many years, the way so many people around the country who are fighting to improve the electoral system uh, have been doing. And the same goes with the political system, by the way. Don't like the candidates? Fight like hell for better ones. But turning away does nothing. Getting in there and fighting like hell uh, does, uh, I think, make a difference. And Arizona, believe it or not, is actually evidence of that because John Brakey has uh, had these lawsuits uh, year after year. And every time it happens, they have to improve the system to keep that particular problem from happening again. And then, of course, a new one pops up. Yeah, but basically the the foundational <gasps> thought is the same, that if you turn away and you don't engage, then the bad guys don't have to work that much harder. Makes to, it easy for them. Oh, yeah. They don't have to steal your vote if you don't even bother to show up to cast it. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more broadcast, including the Green News Report. What? Yes, that's that's uh, follows right after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. You know, voters in Delaware ought to rise up and have them get ri- get rid of those. Godforsaken, uh, unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's from earlier in the show, but I, it, it still drives me absolutely crazy that it's not until after the elections uh, that people rise up and get angry about it. And then once they do, it's even that much harder to fix it. Yeah, of course. Of course. All right. Well, uh, moving from elections onto something much more, uh, much more uh, uplifting. That would be the destruction of planet Earth. <laughs> Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. President Obama said the biggest threat to our country is global warming. That's cool. Give me a break, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, your presumptive GOP nominee for President of the United States. America is taking the lead in energy. Leading the world in oil and natural gas production. CNN airs more ads for the fossil fuel industry than news stories on climate change. Volkswagen documents reveal scheme to defraud emissions tests. Mitsubishi admits to cheating on fuel economy tests. 
Plus, one major U.S. city is the first to mandate solar panels on all new buildings. Ooh, find out which city that is and much more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I really am not looking for endorsements from people who deny climate change. But you'll take their money. Am I right, Hillary Clinton? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so now that it looks like Donald Trump is most likely going to get the Republican nomination, did you really think that the GOP nominee for president this year would not be a climate denier? (laughs) No, I just didn't think he would do it in quite the way that he did. In this spectacular fashion. Donald Trump took a moment in his victory speech after the primaries on Tuesday to once again deny the science on the projected impacts of global climate change. The single big, it is not global warming. President Obama said the biggest threat to our country is global warming. That's called, give me a break, okay? The biggest threat to our country is nuclear. Well, that's called give me a break, okay? (laughs) Well, he was referring to nuclear weapons and something about Iran and the Iran nuclear deal. But then at a rally in West Virginia, Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders explained why scientists and the insurance industry and major corporations and the U.S. military and the World Bank, which you think Donald Trump would pay attention to. Yep, why they all call climate change a present danger and a threat to national and international security unless we transition away from fossil fuels. What we will be seeing in years to come is more drought, more flooding, more extreme weather disturbances, more acidification of the ocean, more rising sea levels, and more international conflict as people fight over limited natural resources. Well, that could cost trillions of dollars and millions of lives, but uh, that's called give me a break, okay? Meanwhile, people who watch CNN see this ad from the American Petroleum Institute a lot. With the right policies, we can produce, refine, and supply more oil and natural gas. Join us and become an energy voter. Now a new report shows that CNN airs far more advertising for the oil and gas industry than it does airing important news stories on climate change. A Media Matters analysis found that in the weeks after major global temperature records were announced, CNN spent nearly five times as much time airing fossil fuel industry ads than it did airing those stories on climate change. And I'm asked all the time why the corporate media doesn't cover climate change more, and I'm always pointing to those ads between pretty much every commercial break on uh, on CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and the cable news outlet Let's make millions from it. In the Volkswagen emissions cheating scandal, a PowerPoint presentation was apparently prepared by a top technology executive at Volkswagen in 2006, precisely detailing how the automaker could cheat on U.S. emissions tests. That's according to a new report by the New York Times. Volkswagen has now reached a preliminary settlement with U.S. regulators over its emissions cheating scandal and will pay at least $1 billion to owners of those cars and buy back some 600000 vehicles. Volkswagen has posted a $6 billion loss for 2015. 
But that's not all. Last week, Japanese automaker Mitsubishi also admitted to cheating, this time on fuel economy tests on at least 600,000 of its models, using multiple techniques to make its cars appear to get better gas mileage than they actually did. And they've been doing that since 1991. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has ordered the company to retest its vehicles. But some good news. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has rejected a permit for a controversial proposed natural gas pipeline, the Constitution Pipeline, which would have crossed the New York state watershed. And finally, the city of San Francisco has voted to make a major change to its building codes, approving legislation to require solar panels on all new building construction. The first major American city to do so. Wow, very cool. You know, uh, right-wingers love to make fun of San Francisco, but the the fact is their economy is absolutely booming, going through the roof. You can't even get an apartment there these days, much less one with solar. But maybe that'll change in the future. For much more on that story and the other ones we could not get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I left my heart in San Francisco. That's such a lovely song. Tony Bennett always makes me feel better. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, Desi Doyen, also to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest today, Emily Levy, with Audit AZ. Check out that case, their work, their concerns over at electionnightmares.com, which sounds like my own personal website, but it's not. It's theirs, electionnightmares.com. Uh, my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of this program or any other, you can download them all for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes, where you can subscribe for free but where we hope you will give us a good review to help other people uh, make it a little easier for other people to find our program as well. And thanks to those of you, by the way, who have stopped by bradblog.com donate to help us continue doing what we do here. Our next thrilling episode, I believe Danielle and Shana will be in for us. If Yay. the radio gods are with us, we'll be back with you thereafter, I hope. Until then, you can find me and follow me on the, the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Use hashtag Bradcast, and you can email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everyone.